0: Welcome to The Artistic Foodies, the show that explores life through the lens of art and food. I'm Abbas Muhammad. And I'm Irfan Raidan. And in this episode, we're talking about halal food and what that means to the Muslim
1: community. With both Shia and Sunni religious scholars as our guest, we explore some frequently asked questions, especially as it pertains to alcohol, kosher, seafood, and halal etiquette. Our first guest today, Imam Tahir Anwar, is a Hanafi Sunni scholar who was born in London, England, but has lived in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1983. After completing his religious studies, Imam Tahir has served the Bay Area Muslim community since 2000. He also teaches Islamic law at the renowned Zaytuna College in Berkeley, California. In addition, Imam Tahir is the founding board member of Averroes High School, which is the Bay Area's first Muslim high school? So, our first question for Imam Tahir: Do we need to verify the halalness of food when we are invited to a Muslim's house for dinner? In my own household, uh, you know, I have a rule: if
2: it's labeled halal and I can trust it for the most part, I'm good with it. On the issue of halal, you know, um, again, it's you know, people that know me know that I was been raised in you know a fairly conservative Muslim household. Um, You know, my father just had a very simple rule. If you showed up at a Muslim's house, then you safely assumed that the food was halal. You know, I've come across people that, you know, will call you or ask you in advance, is the food that you serve at your house halal or is it hand slaughtered? Look, if you're not okay with it, just don't accept the invitation, you know. If someone tells you that their food is halal, then you safely assume it's halal, unless and otherwise you have a specific reason to doubt that institution or that individual, and you don't consume from there. So, you know, if someone tells me the restaurant is a halal restaurant, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, they're halal, right? I, I believe it. Unless I have specific reason to doubt. So there's a very, there's a restaurant, you know, locally um, that, you know, advertises itself to be a halal restaurant. But, you know, some time ago, um, you know, there were certain reports that came out that said, you know, that some of the meats that were coming in weren't necessarily labeled halal. And when people asked about halal, you know, they really didn't know what they were on about. So, you know, you just you just avoid that institution altogether. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not saying don't eat out, but don't disparage people. Don't look down upon people. Um, you know, you have a certain standard that you follow. That's awesome. Um, and so people, I do think that, you know, need to be, you know, just need to be cognizant and, and aware of this and respect everyone, you know, respect everyone, you know, we are what we eat. So we do need to be conscious and aware of what's going inside us. And, you know, you end up making that choice and ultimately, ultimately, you know, if we if we consume you know wholesome and halal naturally you know there will be tawfiq and blessings within ourselves to be able to worship allah remember allah and if we don't then that will also have its ramifications i think one point to note here and mention here that a lot of people forget is that when the quran does mention halal you know it's not specifically about meats it's about that which we consume, whatever it is, is halal. You have people that have a hundred percent, you know, questionable or haram income, or a good portion of their income is completely haram, and then they are buying, you know, halal foods with that. Well, that food just doesn't become halal by you purchasing, you know, halal food at a halal restaurant or a halal meat store. Even that, to some extent, it could be. 100% hand slaughtered the biha But even that is haram because you bought it with haram income So I think that this conversation around halal and haram Is not just about the meats that we consume But it also needs to be around the income Our means of income through which we purchase our foods that we consume Yeah, you know in the past I've
0: I've sat down for a meal with my Sunni brothers I myself am Shia. And we'll go get some sushi, for example. Right. But I'm completely hands off the unagi, no eel for me, none of the clams. In the same way, um, I understand that a lot of, for example, my Sunni brethren um, approach kosher as something that is permissible, while for me, it is not permissible. Right, And yet we can still sit down and, and, and have a meal without trying to kill each other or trying to judge each other to hell. Let's say that I'm going to eat at a halal restaurant that's run by Muslims. I know the food is halal, but they serve alcohol in the restaurant. Is this permissible for me?
2: It is permissible for you. <clears throat> as long as the food is halal, it's permissible for you. Now, <clears throat> someone out of their comfort level may not be okay with eating in a restaurant and where alcohol is served or may not be comfortable in eating at a restaurant in which the same owner, the very owner who's serving halal is serving alcohol. So they're saying, hey, you know, can we trust their word or not? Would I personally consume halal at a restaurant in which alcohol is being served as long as it's not within my sight or as long as I'm not being served and I have conviction in my heart that the food that is being served halal? Got no problems. But if we supported some of these Muslim-owned businesses enough, maybe the Muslim owner will go out and remove everything. There's an example of a rest of, of a, biz, a, a business in our own community just in the last two days that got in and said, you know, we're removing all our, you know, pork products and other things like that. You and I both know what we're talking about, and so now it behooves the Muslim community to go out there and support that business to to let the business look. We're all in this together as a community, as a minority in a certain land absolutely there's uh
0: there's also a, uh, a steak restaurant that's also uh in our community um that recently tra- just they had like partial halal they moved all their
2: meat to halal yeah yeah so you know support support the family support the businesses uh don't judge people you know it's very you know people some people it's harder for them to survive than others it may be easy for you and i but it may not be easy for others and some people may have to take certain routes and eventually their hearts are in the right place. They will do the right thing.
0: Yeah. I I really appreciate what you said about comfort level. I feel that at the end of the day, if you look past the arguments and disagreements and online fights and trolling the the reason why this is even such an important emotional topic is because everyone's just doing their best to be the best based on their
2: understanding. Honestly, this, the Muslim business that's serving alcohol, if you could promise them a certain amount of business every month, trust me, they'll get rid of the alcohol. It's not like they're doing, you know, it's just so and and some of these families, you know, personally, these are these are good Muslims. They're masjid going Muslims, you know, and, and you know, uh, situations force people to do certain things. But these are not bad people. They've never drank a drop themselves in their entire lives, and they never would. And, and honestly, they probably have never even touched the alcohol.
0: Our next guest is Molana Sheikh Amin Rustani, who is a Shia scholar who traveled to the holy city of Qum after high school in 1999 to pursue Islamic studies. He was able to get into one of the top schools at the Hausa Ilmiya in Qum and graduated from the six year introductory level covering all Islamic disciplines. He then began the four-year intermediate level of fiqh and Asul fiqh studies, after which he had the opportunity to participate in advanced fiqh classes. He also holds a master's degree in Semitic religions with a dissertation on the Code of Canon Law in Catholicism through the University of Religions and Denominations of Qum. Sheikh Amin is also a teacher of the Hauza and lectures internationally on various occasions of the Islamic year. In 2017, he moved back to the U.S. and is currently serving the Dallas community. Um, now, just to go into a little bit of the, the etiquette here, I know, for example, for for has, you know, there is in and actually I'm not 100 percent sure. But like if you're eating at a table and there's a glass of wine present, is it haram for you to eat at that table?
3: Right. Yes. Um, according to our Maraja, usually that's what they will say. Not only eating at that table. If, this is the, what the fatwa is, if alcohol is being consumed at a table, you are not allowed to sit hmm. at that table. That's what we have.
0: Now, what if you're at a halal, hand-slaughtered restaurant, but they also have alcohol, all the alcohol is separate. Am I allowed to eat there?
3: Um, are you, you're 100% sure that it's halal, though? Yeah, it's
0: yeah. I know the owners. I know where they get their food from, and it's in fact hand slaughtered. So they don't they don't even go for machine slaughtered.
3: No, it's like next. It's like super Saiyan It's like next so, yeah.
0: So they got the super halal and the super haram, you know, next to each other. But it's <laughs> they use you know all the alcohol as different glasses and everything. But they got the best of both worlds going on. They don't use alcohol in cooking any of that. So yeah. it's you know, am I allowed to eat at a restaurant where there may be, for example, someone at another table? Who's drinking?
3: Yeah, if they're not at your table, I can't say it's haram. I, I who am I? Um, that's what the ruling we have is: if you're sitting at the same table. So if the restaurant is serving, but for others, and it has nothing to do with me, and I'm, I'm sure that the meat is okay, then yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, some people might, you know, take. They might get upset at this, you know, um, that you know. Oh no! How dare someone walk into a restaurant that's that's serving something like this, and then you know, although they have nothing to do with the alcohol like brother sister i understand that you know you have your you have your standards yeah but as a jurist the maraja taqlid the, the scholar cannot just make something haram that's not haram i can't make that haram but yeah i mean like sometimes these the settings the environments are not the best environments to be in that's a different story as well like you know i wouldn't encourage it but in and of itself in and of itself no that's not going to make it. your food haram because you're there
0: um, this a final question about etiquette. Uh, if I'm being invited to someone's house for dinner, or if I'm going to eat out at a restaurant, what is the minimum requirement of investigation that I have to do? Do I, I mean, some people will ask for receipts and certificates and to see the box and so on. So Islamically and etiquette wise, what is the extent of our investigation when investigating this?
3: Show me your receipts, buddy. <laughs> No no don't do that. If you're going to somebody's house definitely they're practicing Muslim especially like no it's wrong. It's wrong to do that. It's not even it's not wajib it's not even mustahab it might be makruh or even might even be problematic for you to ask them for proof that they got their meat from somewhere halal or something. No man. Even in like the most Islamic countries, let's say if you're living in, I don't know, Saudi Arabia or Iran or something like, whereas like they are, they're, they're, you know, they're Islamic states, for example. And like, you know, for them, it's a super, imp- mistake is always there. You know, there's always a chance of mistake unless I'm watching, right, with my own two eyes. Like You got to just live in a slaughterhouse, my friend. That's not, that's not practical. You, Islam is more pragmatic than that. And so <clears throat> uh, these Amarat, Sharia, they're called, are there as well. If a Muslim tells you it's, it's labiha, you go, you're good. You don't have to investigate further.
1: Well, very good. That's very good. Um, I, I'm glad that you uh, went into detail about that because we have this issue come up a lot of times in our uh, Facebook group. And, you know, I've had this philosophy for a long time that, you know, if it's a Muslim person who is telling you it's halal, then I don't have any reason to not believe them and I will eat there and not do any f- further questioning or investigation. Some people go really crazy. There's like some, some people posted about searching through the trash can outside the restaurant to look for the receipts and boxes. People go
3: really crazy about this stuff. So it's like. So let me tell you something you're fine. It depends on whether you want to ascertain or you just want to take the Amara Sharaiya route, all right? If a person like goes to some restaurant, there's no Islam there. There's no Muslim there. It's just, it just says halal on it. Yeah. Whatever it takes to gain certainty, you have to. What I'm saying is that you don't need certainty when you have that Muslim in the picture. So like, if it's a Muslim, then yeah. Like, why are you going to do this? Why are you going to, you know, investigate further? But yeah, if a person wants to really attain certainty, then yeah. Whatever it takes to attain certainty. Even if it means asking for receipts, even if it means like, even if that the certificates aren't enough for me, like it becomes super subjective, of course. But the thing is this now, what I want to say is this, you cannot impose your discretion, a.k.a. certainty on others. I can't tell people, oh, you know, I'm sure it's halal. Why are you making such a big deal out of it? Well, bro, I don't trust Robert and Jack. All right. Molana, how is kosher similar to halal? It was interesting. Years ago, in that Islamic school we were growing up, we had um, uh, a rabbi come and speak to us once. And he was explaining how, for certain occasions that they have in their calendar, they will have to have a certain type of meat or a certain cut from a certain animal. And so he was explaining how, if we don't have access to kosher, sometimes we will go for your halal because we know that you've done a good job in purifying that meat the way it's slaughtered, you know? So he was explaining how, you know, they stuff the animal with. Uh, you know, what is it called? That special salt they have. I don't know if it's a special salt or it's just normal salt, but that will soak up a lot of the blood, actually, and a lot of the other stuff that is supposed to get out of the body of the, of the animal. And so he was explaining that, and then he's like, yeah, by the way, like if we can't get our hands on that, the kosher will go for your halal. It was pretty pretty cool to hear that, actually. So, Side
0: note, I should also mention that according to the Shia fiqh, eating kosher certified meat does not equate to eating halal meat. It cannot be used as a substitute.
1: So for all the Shia listeners out there, not off the hook for this one. Going back to the people of the book. So people. So a lot of people say, oh, uh, these uh, Chick-fil-A and um, In-N-Out, these are Christian uh, owners, Christian companies. They put Bible verses on their stuff. So does that mean they are people of the book and we eat? An In-N-Out burger or a Chick-fil-A sandwich. So again, this this goes back to not just
2: being the owners being Christian. It actually goes back to whether the ch- chicken that they serve follows the Ahlul Kitab, the people of the book standard. If it does, it's awesome. If not, then no, I don't know the answer. I, I you know. But at the same time, <clears throat> and this is a whole different topic altogether. How is it being prepared? Right. That's an entire different topic. You know, people need to think about this. Like, how is it being prepared? And again, some people would argue to that and say, you really don't need to be nitpicky about that. Maybe you don't want to. That's fine. I would like to. I'll respect you and you respect me. If that chicken is being fried in lard, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, because ultimately it's going in my body. It will affect my ability to do ibadah. You know, my ability to wake up for Fajr prayer, it will make a difference. Allah will inspire you to do good if you are consuming wholesome, and if not, otherwise. So it's not a simple yes or no. Can you go to chicken? Imam tahir said, I can go to Chick Fil A. No, it's not that. Imam tahir said, y'all need to do your homework and find out whether you can or not. Uh,
1: just to add on to that, I did contact in and out and I said, I asked them, um, you know, is your meat kosher? They said, no. I said, uh, do you have, do you do any kind of prayer when you do the slaughtering? They said, no. So they responded truthfully and honestly, you know, they could have lied if they, if they wanted to. Ooh, there's the fatwa. You heard it <laughs> here first. The artistic foodies. In
2: and out is out. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. And, and, and how much did Chick-fil-A pay you for saying that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Now, again, the the food of the people of the book, yes, it is definitely permissible. The problem is not the permissibility. Uh, the problem is the way those meats are prepared. Okay, so if you were to take me to a a kosher restaurant, right, and you were to tell me that you know, this is the best pastrami you could find in New York, right? I'd be like, yes, let's do this. If you can tell me that it's kosher, absolutely. But then there's certain rules that the people of the book that have to follow in order for those meats to be permissible. The problem is for people who have, who are deep into this industry within Uh, the United States specifically, and have been to, you know, the average Muslim has probably not even been to a single slaughterhouse. So while I, while the average Muslim or a Muslim scholar will definitely tell you that the food of the people of the book is perfectly permissible, the problem is that the meat that is sitting in front of you in the supermarket probably doesn't follow any religious standard at all. So that's when it becomes problematic for me to pick up a steak for example at um at costco or a steak at you know or chicken at a certain supermarket versus actually walking into a you know a kosher certified restaurant if that makes sense
0: and now a word from this episode sponsor aria steakhouse in redwood city california Aria Steakhouse in Redwood City, California, serves Persian cuisine as well as 100% Zabiha halal steaks. With specialties including the tamaha, dry-aged ribeye aged in-house for 28 days, bone marrow, and beef kubit. All steaks come from Harris Ranch's hand-slaughtered halal beef. Come and celebrate your special occasions at the exquisite upscale restaurant located in the heart of downtown Redwood city. And of course we can't forget the beautiful outdoor patio with heat lamps for a fancy yet cozy date night experience with your loved one. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming.
1: Okay. A couple of, a couple of common, common questions that come up is um, can we use um, uh, vanilla extract? Can we cook with alcohol if it, burns off, you know, what are, what are some of the rulings about that? Um, you know,
2: specifically, uh, if, if alcohol is being put in, if alcohol wine is being specifically put in the food, then no, it is not permissible for the most part. Vanilla extract, uh, there's a certain number if it's under, you know, uh, in the ingredients, the amount of alcohol that actually goes in there. If it's under a certain amount, the scholars have deemed it to be permissible.
0: What about using vanilla extract, which has a little bit of alcohol in it? According
3: to Sistani, it's okay. Is kombucha halal? That'll depend on how much, I don't know, fermentation and how much intoxication and lots of that kind of stuff. I don't know too much about it. I know people ask about it. Uh, yeah. I,
0: I, I know I read uh, I read one time at Tassistani's photo was saying that it's okay and I think I drank like ten bottles of kombucha that day. I don't recommend it. I had a stomach ache. Hey,
3: halal doesn't mean wajib, bro. <laughs>
0: um,
3: can second, you let me just go back to the uh, yeah vanilla extract one? Because some people are gonna say, "Oh my god!" So is are they saying alcohol is halal and all that? No, no. I tell he says with vanilla extract. Look, if That alcohol, which is not from, is not, for him, wine and beer are a problem. Other than that, if there's going to be alcohol in something, if it's super minute, that's like the wording he uses. I think uh, the Arabic was, what was it? Da'il jiddan, he says. Then it's okay. I think, you know, and again, I'm
1: not a scholar, but you have to look at the uh, purpose of why. Certain alcohol is uh, prohibited, right? If you're getting, if you're drinking alcoholic drinks to get drunk and high and buzzed, and you're, it's impeding your thinking and everything. That's why it's haram according to common sense, right? So if you have a little minute alcohol in ingredient of something that you're using, like in medicine or cooking with it or for flavoring, you're not getting high and drunk and buzz off that, right? It's to create some kind of flavor in the food or whatever it is, right? So you have to look at it from a common sense point of view as well, which I
3: think a lot of scholars, well, like you just mentioned, do. So let me just explain one little thing here. Um, if you're out add a, add a flavor to it, then usually it might not be a minute percentage. I don't know, but whatever. But th- what I want to say is this, is that some maraja they believe that alcohol is najis though. That's the thing.
0: For those who don't know, najis means impure. In this context, anything that is considered impure is not allowed for human consumption according to Islamic law.
3: So even if you have a minute amount of it in an ingredient, right, it's going to render the whole thing najis, and it'll be haram from a najis perspective to consume. Interesting. Okay, let's get now the thing with Sayyid Sistani is that he does not believe other than wine. From i remember i think even f- wine that comes from grape sources if i'm not mistaken even that's how narrow it is for him wine and then fr- and then he says based on obligatory precaution which is a technical term i don't want to get into beer also will fall under that category they will be nudges he says that's why a drop of that in 20 bottles of something will will, will make the whole thing nudges and so you can't have it from a nudges perspective that's really we interesting. We can't drink Najis water, for example, because it's najis. But he says if it's if it's for me it's not najis, and it's like a little bit like a trace amount, then I mean there's no reason for me to say it's haram because it's not intoxicating you. And it's not najis, so there is no dalil for it to be najis.
0: So there's the next question was can you cook with alcohol if it will all be burnt off? And I'll use two specific examples because he made this distinction. Number one is Um, I'm making a delicious halal zabiha steak and I want to make a wine sauce to go with it. And I know all the alcohol will be burnt off. That's example. Number one, example, number two is I'm making a delicious Korean dish that requires gochujang. Gochujang has vodka added to it for the sake of consistency. And I know that while cooking all of the, the alcohol will evaporate. Am I allowed to cook with alcohol?
3: so you 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 worded it like this you said a wine a sauce and then the alcohol will burn off yes well, which one is it is it wine or is it alcohol <laughs> well the flavor comes from the wine but the alcohol burns off so it's a so it's wine though yes all right so that, so that makes that haram that, it makes it haram because it makes everything najis whatever you put that stuff on make it najis right um, if it's the, if it's the nudge's wine that we were talking about, um, the thing is, I'll say this on the side real quick. You know, I, I get worried to, when I talk about these things and give the rulings because there will sometimes be people who will misunderstand what you're saying and they'll just go out, you know, saying to others, especially that, yeah, you know, they're saying that it's okay to drink wine. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think I don't
1: think anybody's saying that here. I didn't hear that at all. <laughs>
3: let's uh, let's just let's just let's make job the,
1: job. make the, let's just make that very clear, everybody. <laughs> Drinking alcohol and beer is haram. Yeah. Period, period.
3: I don't know who's gonna be listening to this video.
1: Unless it's zero point zero percent Heineken. <laughs>
0: Sponsor us, Heineken.
1: (laughs) I have nothing to do with this. That was a joke.
3: That was a joke. (laughs) Oh, Allah. have (laughs) nothing to do with this. Just for the record. You know, but um, no, but going back to what we were talking about, right? Wine makes it nudges. So, yeah, you can't do that. Vodka, I don't know about vodka, what what category that falls under for Aitalisis Dani, right? But all in all, if it doesn't make it nudges and it burns, it all burns off. All right. Forget about that. Let's just say you want to cook with rubbing alcohol or something. Or like, or like cologne or something. And then you spray that stuff on your steak and yeah, it's inflamed and all that. Right. And then it all burns off. Yeah. That would be, that would be according to what he's, what they're saying. That if there is no, if there, if, if, it's not nudges and it's not, it's not, it's a minute amount that's left on there, then if it's all burning off, then yeah. But why is different? Molana, I know that for Shias, we're not allowed to eat any
0: shellfish with the exception of shrimps. And we can't eat scaleless fish like eels and sharks either. Are there ever any exceptions to this rule? Like what if you're living in a coastal area, there's a lot of these kinds of seafood and not much else.
3: What are the exceptions? It doesn't matter if you're living on the coast, you're inland, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. Our fic will say that an exception won't be made unless there are certain extenuating circumstances so for example if you're living on the coast I don't know you're living in Japan or something I don't know where you, you know there's a scarcity of livestock um, if it reaches a point where you know you need food and you just you don't have access to it then bismillah you can have it yeah so this will be uh, you know what, we'll, what they'll say in Arabic is if there's Asur or haraj yeah, these terms will be used Asur and haraj means you know hardship you know to the point where usually it's not bearable for people these exceptions will be made yeah usually a person that's living on the coast right and is making a living there it reaches a point for them that they can't just make you know live off of um you know they can't live off of the little bit of halal animals they have then an exception will be made but the exception will only be to the amount that is necessary so for example if you're stuck in a desert and you're dying of hunger, but there just happens to be an Outback Steakhouse there. You know? <laughs> right? So it's not like, it's not like, all right, you know what? I'm dying. Let me order like, I don't know. It's been, it's been, I've been waiting for this moment all my life to get stuck in the desert and be dying of <laughs> hunger. So like, let me just uh, order like, you know, everything on their menu. No, you, the amount, <laughs> the exception will be made to the amount that is necessary to get rid of that, those those circumstances that you're in, yeah. So that's what you'll have. So you'll have like half a steak, not four steaks a bus. Uh, and just letting you know, <laughs> the way you're sounding already, it sounds like yeah. For you, food is very important. So like, uh, I'm
1: like googling the
3: Outback Steakhouse
0: menu right now.
1: <laughs> Hey, the lamb chops are coming from Australia, and they're halal lamb chops at Outback. But uh, no, that's a that's a good point. Um, I think we have uh, something similar to, and I, you know, like you said, I'm not a scholar myself, but you know, I've I've read a, f- a little bit about it. So you know, we have this concept in the uh, Hanafi madhab uh, called makuru, Okay, uh, it's uh, which means like it's um, undesirable, but mm-hmm. it's allowed. Okay. It's allowed, right? So We have so, the same thing. So, uh, you know, so, so technically certain seafood items like shrimp and whatever lobster are makruh means that mm. it's better to avoid it, but it's allowed. You know, it's allowed that's if you...
3: Good thing you say that. You know why? Because, um, because in the Shi'i, amongst the Shia as well, we have this... Of course, we have makruh as well. Something that's not haram, but it's better to stay away from. Mm-hmm. But... You get this question from Shias all the time, um, and it's not even a question. They'll tell you this, and they don't know that they're not actually being very accurate when they say this. They say shrimp is makruh. Abbas, have you heard that before or not? That shrimp is makruh in the. Shi- I, I've heard that, but I, I I have not changed anything in my lifestyle after hearing that. <laughs> okay. Now the thing is that some people that want to avoid makruh even, uh, you know, they'll avoid it. They'll say it's makruh, but no. It's in, in the Shi'a fiqh, I've never come across anything that says it's makruh, it's permissible. So I guess this is something that has maybe made its way in from the Sunni school. So thanks for saying mm.
1: that, Imam. Imam Dawood Yassin, who shared a lot of his wisdom in the previous fiqh episode, is back again to share a special recipe for all of you seafood lovers out there.
4: You know, if I could give you just a very, a very simple recipe, and this is something, you know, we live on, in California. I grew up on an island, like I said, I grew up saltwater fishing. There's all kinds of, you know, uh, saltwater around us. There's a there's a species which is called surf perch. They're very easy to catch, and they're also delicious to eat. You can grill them up, and if you catch some surf perch, if you want to know how, you could reach out to me. I could walk you through it. You could, I'll take you on a trip, whatever it is, okay? But if you want to cook them up, very simple, man. Throw some olive oil some some parsley some cilantro some garlic into uh you know some sort of container to marinate them in uh, salt pepper uh, throw them in that for 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 you know a couple of hours at a minimum overnight if you really want to uh and then you know and then you can either wrap them in aluminum foil and put them on the grill if you don't have a grill, you can also do the same thing and put them in the uh, in your oven for about 20 minutes. You just want the, the, uh, the skin to break away from it. You know, a little bit of rice, a little bit, you know, whatever you want for your side, for a vegetable, big green salad. And here's the thing. Don't use your salad as a condiment, man. Salad – has, has, you know, is a delicious, nutritious meal in and of itself, you know, build delicious meals. Don't just have it like it's a side, you know, treating it like it's a garnish. You know what I mean? I don't mean a condiment, but a garnish. Salad is not a garnish, man.
1: I only eat salad if it has meat in it. No, no,
4: no. We're going to break that. We're going to break that. Yeah, man. Beets, apples, walnuts, we put all of this in our salad at night. So anyway, yeah, you know, this, this is a very basic, uh, a recipe, 20 minutes in the oven, you know, or in the grill, you know, flip it 10 minutes per side. And if it's in the oven, you don't have to flip it. But on the grill, I like to flip it, um, you know, and you're and, and, you know, and we're good after that, man. You know what I mean? Make dua, bismillah, and then get down on, on some halal goodness, right? Well, so, uh, that sounds super delicious. Alhamdulillah.
0: We are very grateful for the time that the scholars have shared with us in order to increase us in our understanding of halal and our understanding of each other. We hope this allows us to understand each other better as Muslims and to orient our diet as well as our lives towards achieving divine favor.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Artistic Foodies Podcast. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Google Podcasts.
0: Be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram to stay tuned for more episodes as well as bonus content. You can also have access to all of our episodes at www.theartisticfoodies.com.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by Halal Fest Incorporated and Gamma, gathering all Muslim artists.